Hello, everyone. Uh, this is Greg from the Popular History Podcast. And in a minute, you'll be hearing a conversation I had the other night with uh, Bree from the Pontifax Podcast. You can tell it was night because it was a lot quieter than my house is during the day. Sorry for any background noise here. Uh, with our respective podcasts, both on hiatus, we decided what better way to appease our listeners than generate some low effort, uh, potentially clickbaity content together. You'll see what I mean in a moment, if the title didn't already clue you in. But the main reason you're hearing an intro recorded later is because we done messed up. John Paul II did not create the 120 cap for cardinal electors. That was Pope Paul VI. Uh, JP II confirmed that cap in 1996 with the Apostolic Constitution, Universi Dominici Gregis, though he had already stuck a toe over that line back in 1988 when there were 121 cardinal electors for a few weeks before one aged out. Though the cap is still technically enforced, JP2 would later completely ignore it, bringing the total of voting cardinals to 135 in 2001, including a certain Jorge Mario Bergoglio, who would later become Pope Francis. Alright, with that housekeeping out of the way, let's go ahead and bring some intro music out of storage, because it's definitely not going to be in May, and it may not be in June, but sometime this summer. I really hope. The Popular History Podcast will be back in action. So let's have that all warmed up for you. Welcome to the Popey Podcast You Didn't Know You Needed, where we talk history through Pope-colored glasses and some of the craziest, most popular stories you've never heard of. It's a real joy for us to welcome you all here. I would like to invite each of you to listen do not be afraid. This is a popular, popular podcast. Do not be afraid. My name is Greg. I'm with the Popular History <laughs> Podcast, which is theoretically a thing. It gradually becomes more of a thing. I'm actually in a studio now. Um, I have um, Bree from Pontifax, was mm-hmm. kind enough to to join me tonight, and I managed to call her Brie, and not uh, Bri, as I'm always tempted to. I apologize. You've probably heard that before. <laughs> oh, you did it! My, I'm my very nephew, proud of you for getting it correct. Yes. Well, my nephew is called Bri, and spelled the same way. And so, it throws Really? Yes. Yes. Is that short for Brian? Uh, short for Bryson. Ah, see, if I was going to be born a boy, my parents were going to call me Bryce. So I get it. There you go. Now, now, <laughs> I take it Brie is, uh, is it just Brie? Is it like Brianna or? Uh, it's Brianne. Brianne. Okay. Yes. I do know that actually. I've seen Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, in any case. As as you know, and as the, any folks listening don't, um, I suggested we go ahead and ha- take a few minutes to kind of sound test things, give me some practice interviewing someone, give you something to do with your little bit of hiatus time, um, and talk about a little bit of a not-quite-conspiracy, but let's just call it a theory I've been toying with that you hate and that therefore I love. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> for what it's worth... Um, my father is on your side. I told him about it. Um, about <laughs> I do ago. hate it. I and hate it like, so much. Oh, please, no. My theory is that Pope Francis will retire this year, which I um, know 
is not the most popular theory for some folks, uh, especially for you and for my father, who also hates it. Um, and I'm glad. <laughs> let it be known that I am not very good at actually making predictions. The one time I made a good papal prediction was when I got back from my extended lunch break when uh, Pope Francis was elected. A coworker asked me, you know, what kind of pope do you think he's going to be? And I said, well, he's a South American and he's a Jesuit, so I don't know a ton about him, but I have a feeling like he's going to focus on social justice and the poor. And I feel like that one held up. I feel like that checked out. That he has. And I think that's why I like him so much. <laughs> I, 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 enjoy, I enjoy Pope Francis. Uh, mostly I've always been kind of a, a Pope news nerd anyways, since growing up under like John Paul II. You know, I'd still nerd out about that. So it's been going on a while. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yes, yeah, so my theory is that Pope Francis will retire this year. And my evidence, such as it is, is basically... Counting by five. So I don't know if it's like this in Italy, but, you know, I'm used to thinking about sort of a general retirement age as being, you know, 65. Like if you're picking a normal year mm -hmm. for like you yeah. know, the average civilian, 65 thereabouts. <laughs> now, priests, I know, tend to retire about 70. And then bishops have a canonically mandatory, like they're supposed to submit their resignation at age 75. And then it's up to the Pope whether or not he accepts it. And then, yes, yes. And cardinals automatically lose their voting status um, at age 80. So, you know, counting up by that. And who's the next tier up? Well, that would be the papa at uh, 85. Now, what's interesting and what made me decide to go ahead and run with this theory is that Pope <laughs> Benedict, who is the only pope that's lived to 85 in the last hundred years, um, he died, or sorry, he retired at the age of 85. <laughs> I mean, what? <laughs> he, yes, breaking news, breaking news. No, no. Um, yeah, yeah. I wish I wish him nothing but a peaceful passing when the time comes. <laughs> and we'll just, Soon, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. Well, and honestly, I was thinking he was on his last legs when he retired, because that was the only thing that I could think that would get a pope to retire is, you know, just really being in Ill, Ill, Ill health. And he had some physical decline already noticeable at that time, which is just gradually carried on. And I think the pace has picked up, but I don't, I don't want to speculate on when someone's going to die. I want to speculate on when someone's going to retire. And to be fair, that is the reason that he cited that voluntarily resigning mm -hmm. was because of his poor and frail health. Yes. Yes. And obviously, you know, there's not, going to be like you know some sort of binding rule even you know i don't want to take this to conspiracy then land right i don't think there's <laughs> you know someone at the higher level you know motioning for pope francis to kind of cut things off now but i do think you know could there be some sort of gentleman's agreement sort of idea um <laughs> it's it's plausible you know and and you know maybe just it might even just be that, you know, Pope Francis saw that, you know, that seemed to work out okay. Well, I don't know about okay, but, you know, that's what Benedict did, so maybe that's that's what he's going to do, too. Um, Pope Fran well, and if they like counting by fives the way that you do, it is nice and clean and even in that way. Yes. I also, I also am just going to go ahead and say I'm pretty sure God retired at about the age 90 based on how things have been going since about year 90 of creation. <laughs> 
maybe that's what no, happens. that's a theory happens. I like. But that gives us that gives us a whole other five years with Francis if he goes the God route. <laughs> I, I don't think Pope Francis is going to become God. I, I, I no, yeah. We, we could have another But he certainly likes to live by his example, surely. So if oh, God retired go. at 90. Yes. <laughs> yes. And and you're not entirely off base in a theory to say that Francis will retire, because this is something that he has publicly expressed a lot of support mm. for. He has he has publicly stated that he thinks that Benedict paved the way for a new and modern end to the papacy, mm. and that resignation at an advanced age was a great act of modesty. There, There is a quote he gave to an interview in 2015 saying, in general, I think what Benedict so courageously did was to open the door to the Pope's emeritus. Benedict should not be considered an exception, but an institution. So there is a lot of evidence that this is something that he likes. Mm-hmm. He is also hinted on many occasions that he does intend to retire. He's very open to it. And when he was in, when he was a new pope, he even hinted that his pontificate would be short. Initially, he thought four or five years or mm. even two or three. So this was something he thought he was very much going to follow in the institution of Benedict with. Yes. And interestingly, I mean, at this point, you know, uh, Francis has been Pope and Benedict has been Pope Emeritus longer than Benedict was Pope. Um, it's true. Which I certainly would not have expected or predicted. So I would have gotten that one wrong. And the fact that Benedict is now the oldest person to have been alive and had been Pope. No Pope verifiably has lived to the age of 94. Mm. Unless you want to include Pope Agatho, who was apparently 102, according to some very less than reputable sources. And I, Pope Agatha was one of the draw drop <laughs> moments when I was listening to Pontifax. Cause like I hadn't heard a <laughs> whiff of that. And then like, I went back after I heard you talk about, it, I was like, wow. Yeah. That's, that's a thing that I totally missed with my, with my nerdiness. So, <laughs> well, because you. it's so out of the blue. <laughs> yeah. It's he like, was elected at 95 or something. I mean, this was what seventh just... century. <laughs> yeah, but you know, maybe they had some sort of magic elixir we knew nothing about. Well, and you know, I mean, sometimes folks talk about it like, oh, hey, you know, if you're in, you know, if you're in the Dark Ages, obviously, you know, you just automatically croak to 35. Now, some people did live longer and some people potentially lived to extreme old age. I don't know if they would necessarily be the Pope, you know, statistically, it seems mm. unlikely, <laughs> but he does seem to have been around for a while. It is, interestingly, though, one of the institutions in the world that has sort of advanced age as a bonus rather than a drawback, Mm. because generally speaking, we don't elect political leaders or even accept monarchs who are extremely advanced in age, Elizabeth withstanding, (laughs) uh, notwithstanding. I was going to say elections. Um, (laughs) What? Yeah, (laughs) it's. It's not something that's generally considered as a positive thing. And yet for the papacy, we do, especially in the modern era, see a tradition of people not becoming pope until they're in their 60s and 70s and even 80s. So, yeah, well, it's I pretty mean, wild. I mean, you know, we I know I know you've got some D&D aspects occasionally. And I mean, you know, you want to really max out that wisdom stat and the rest. It seems like a bit of a dump <laughs> stat for popes. <laughs> To be fair, that that is 
historically the way it should go because some of our young popes are all the popes who make the lists of worst popes in history. So they, they're they on to some kind of formula, whether where they've drawn that line and whether the mathematical end of that line is 85, I think is up for debate. That's that that's fair enough. Fair enough. I uh, speaking of a young pope, I'm I'm just curious, and you know we can always cut this out if there's some deep sark secret, or I don't want to make any revelations here. But um, did, <laughs> did you guys ever follow up with that connection with Pope Michael, or did I just miss that, or what's the status on that? Have you have you yeah, been in so contact he did. with His Holiness? I I have, and and we have emailed a few times, and he did agree to an interview, and he said, you know, I'll I'll get back to you soon. He was very busy in his day job as a carer in an elderly home. And that was sort of height of COVID sort of thing. And then he got hit by a truck and things uh, got a little sidetracked. So I do need to follow up with him. But I, it is happening. I mean, that, that does sound like a good episode. For what it's worth, last I saw um, when I was, you know, hanging out with him, because of course he's one of my Facebook friends and I imagine he's one of yours as well. Um, oh, yes. I think, I think he's planning on moving now. So, yeah, I yeah. did see that he is moving, and I wonder how that's going to work, considering that that's been the position of his apostolic palace for a number of decades. Yeah, it's quite a move. Yes, well, I mean, I mean, yeah, Topeka. Will the? Yes, will, will I just the, wonder will the sea if the Sede Vacantis. I was just yeah. Does that count as the sea moving like to Chicago area or wherever he's going? Right. Are the Sede Vacantists going to have their own Avignon papacy moment? Oh, goodness. Are we going to have an anti-pope in Topeka again? Uh, perhaps perhaps a, a pope elected by his aunties. I don't know. <laughs> well, it would be the anti-anti-pope at this point, I think. So who would be more legitimate? That's the real question. I mean, he, he's a good guy. I don't want to knock him too much. And I hope he does do an interview, so I don't want to torpedo the chances of that. So we'll, we'll leave oh that no! Be. I think I'm I'm very excited about the possibility of talking to him. I have a whole list of questions about his his practice and and how his philosophy and his following, and I think it's going to be wonderful. Fantastic. So I mean, but getting back to the Pope Francis will definitely totally retire this year theory. It's going to happen. Mark <laughs> this one down. <laughs> And if it doesn't happen, this this is getting deleted from my feed, and it'll just be up to Bree to, to carry the truth. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, we could put it on ours. We can let people make their bets on your theory. <laughs> and you know, <laughs> since since you told me your theory initially, I have had some time to think about this, and I've had some time to sort of sort through commentary that Francis has mm -hmm. made and sort of the facts of where we are, so... As I've said, he is very supportive of this idea of papal resignation. So it's not out of bounds to say that at some point Pope Francis does intend to retire. Um, and the fact that he's 85 years old, last year he had a pretty major colon surgery for diverticulum. He's undergoing surgery again very soon for that torn knee ligament because he's been having a lot of knee problems. Mm -hmm. He, he appeared in a wheelchair for the first time and really clearly does not enjoy appearing in public mm. in a wheelchair. Yeah. And that has clearly affected some of the, the um, appearances and 
uh, addresses that he's been intending to give. There have been many visits that have been canceled as a result of this knee pain. Mm -hmm. So there is some level of understanding that 85 is a point in which the health is starting to deteriorate. And of course, that's going to vary from individual to individual, but I'm pretty sure I will be retired when I'm 85. Well, actually, I'm... I mean, I If, if I so. live that long. <laughs> yes. But yeah. I do have to poke a little bit of holes mm. in your theory because Francis has been very vocal on this issue lately. and And he's sort of seems to have had at least a change of heart in terms of the imminency of of this decision. Mm -hmm. Because in the last year, he stated publicly that he's nowhere near considering retirement quite yet. In early 2021, he stated that he won't go back to Argentina and he intends to die in Rome. And he did say, as Pope or Emeritus... But then after his surgery in July, he says that retirement doesn't even cross his mind. Mm. And he followed that up in September, saying he's not considering it at this point. And funnily enough, right after you invited me to come and, and talk to you about it, you he gave off, a general a audience. And checked with Pope Francis to see. And he said, <laughs> I wish, but he did on May 11th of this year, give a general audience on retirement in general, <laughs> which felt very poignant. And it wasn't about, you know, retirement is a good thing and this is where I'm going. It was about how to live in retirement fruitfully by leaving a legacy of good rather than just goods. Mm. And I don't think he's quite hit that point for himself yet with many of the things that are coming and I also just want you to be wrong about this, so I'm going to say you're wrong. For, for what it's worth, I also want me to be wrong about this, apart from the fact that it would make me right, and I do like being right. But I do hope <laughs> that he will not, uh, you know, retire, and that he has many years left. And, you know, when he's gone, all of the cardinals are appointed by Pope Francis and all that good stuff. Um Oh, and that would be that would definitely be an interesting conclave to witness when that time comes. Yeah, and it it, it is interesting that you know I, I don't think there's been a time in history to you know just touch base on that. Even when you had um, back to back two of the longest papal reigns, um, Pius the Ninth and Leo the Thirteenth, in neither mm -hmm. case you know at the end of their papacy. Like, they both had at least some cardinals still voting who had been appointed by a previous pope. Now, that's a different scenario now that we've moved to this, you know, no longer eligible to vote at the age of 80 thing. So, you know, maybe mm -hmm. one day when you get along, right? But even with John Paul II, um, I think there were three that were in that conclave that had been appointed by Paul VI. So Yes. Uh, 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 yes. And there Joseph are Ratzinger even less now. <laughs> Yes, uh, that's that would be a Benedict the Sixteenth for those who are not familiar, but uh, yes, so yeah, it, it is the first time we are seeing practically a whole fresh new crop that will elect a pope. Not entirely, but as close mm -hmm. as you will get, I think, to that kind of structure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you know, in terms of leaving a legacy and you know work accomplished, one thing that you know just you know sort of I've been having this you know, the mathematical counting by fives baseline of this theory for a while. But one thing that I did see in the last few months that 
did kind of make me say, oh, that's interesting. He's finally getting around to um, some of the courier reform sorts of things that mm-hmm. he had been talking about, like, you know, early on that definitely seemed to be on his to-do list. Like, you know, I would not expect him to get retired or to be retired without feeling like he had at least, you know, given it a good go. Um, and obviously it's not the sort yeah. of thing that gets done all at once. It's the sort of thing that gets talked about through the centuries and through the millennia of papal history. Mm-hmm. You'll be talking about that plenty as uh, Pontifax goes down the line. Oh, yes. <laughs> when we get into a much more modern-looking papacy, especially. But there there does seem to be a greater sense of urgency in mm. a lot of the decisions that he's making at the moment. And mm. I don't necessarily think that that's alarming, because I think there is more pressure than ever, given the current status of the church Mm. and the fact that there are so many ongoing investigations and so many stories that are coming out, Mm. both of financial mismanagement and an abuse of all sorts of nature, Mm -hmm. that he really, if he wants this to be his legacy, if he wants to have made a mark and not been another do-nothing pope in regards to this issue... Mm -hmm now is the time and he has to he has to push it forward so i see we see that with the with the curial reform and the synod on synodality that's coming up in october he's definitely looking to make those marks and he's made many muto proprio decisions lately regarding the abuse cases and you know bribery financial mismanagement in the last years Yes. A lot of big deals. And there has actually been more movement on the financial front than I would have honestly ever expected. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But. uh, Well, and it's it's I think because that's that's very much that Francis has come to the papacy where with with a very strong understanding that this stuff can't be sat on anymore. mm -hmm. And so whatever he's doing now will pave the way for that fresh new crop to then take and run with. Yes. Whether he retires or not. Yeah. Now the the Canada trip that's that would be this year, right? Mm-hmm. July. Yeah. So at least at least when I'm right, you won't necessarily be missing out on that because I do think you'll see that through. But I am keeping an Although eye out on how far out he's coming here. Plans. Oh wait. Oh well, he's not coming. He's not going to BC. You mean? Yeah. He was. He was. Initially, that is what was sort of the impression, given that the reason that he's coming is primarily about reconciliation with the First Nations people and the first discovery that has sort of launched that whole very uncomfortable and very awful reality is was here in BC. But it looks like he's going to Quebec, so Montreal, and then Edmonton in Alberta, and Iqaluit in Nunavut. And that's it. Yes, and and I imagine your pronunciation of Iqaluit is much better than mine. <laughs> oh, I'm taking a wild guess. That's generally how we're supposed to say it, but I, I do that, remember when... That was my when... first time even attempting, because, <laughs> you know, I, I never did the Canadian provincial capitals in school. <laughs> well, I do remember when uh, Nunavut as a territory was founded, because it used to be all Northwest territories. Yeah, that was like this recently, in... right? Like nine, 1990 or something? 1999, yeah. Okay. I was in grade three or four or something. And and I remember that they had established the capital as that. And everyone was like, Ikaluit? No one had any idea how to pronounce it. So we've been told, Ikaluit. Ikaluit. I think. Okay. 
I, I recently, you know, pronunciation is always an issue for podcasting, as I'm as I'm sure you well know. Um, yes. Oh yes, <laughs> Kiev, Kiev, and I yes that yeah especially when when there are cultural significances with pronunciation you can only ever do your best uh, i recently did a a crossover with uh history of sacred fellow georgia and it was all very eastern place names and i was entirely out of my element so oh hopefully i did okay <laughs> yeah so i'll have to check that one out I've, i i listened to their catalog up to a certain point but i haven't heard you on it so i'll have to go check back brand in new. on that yes I've got, like, literally several hundred podcasts I try to keep up on. You know how it is. I do. There are so many good history podcasters. Yes. Yes. Well, shout out to the History of Sacred Fellow, Georgia. Go ahead and check that one out. Hi, Robert Taco. People are going to be like, wait, why is that on here? It's okay. It's good. (laughs) Well, and if we're going to talk College of the Cardinals at all, we'll probably run right into this pronunciation issue because, Wow. Yes. There and are I, some names in there. And I do think we should, because that is going to be the thing that will give us kind of a, a signal about which way this is going to go, I would say. Because right now, the College of Cardinals is running relatively low. And by relatively mm-hmm. low, I mean we're below the theoretical maximum, which yes. just the way things have been. Typically, the canonical limit is 120 voting cardinals. So that's cardinals who have not been stripped of their voting privileges in shame, which actually there's several of those floating around these days. Um, yes. <laughs> who are also under the age of 80. That's the non-shameful way to lose it is to your 80th birthday. Um, mm-hmm. So there are fewer than 120 of them now. And typically, you know, once it goes below 120, Pope Francis will hold another consistory, you know, gather the cardinals and create new cardinals. And this, I mm-hmm. believe, has been the longest time since, like, the longest spit gap between consistories for creating cardinals that he's had in his papacy. Um, I could be wrong on that. It's, but it's been, been a while. It's been over a year. There has been one since yeah. COVID that was in, like, October of 2020, but it's coming mm-hmm. up on two years. And the thing to watch out for is, historically, one of the more popular times for creating cardinals, and I think it's almost like an administrative, just like it's easier, right? You get the family picture, around, like, you know, Christmas or Easter, maybe, just because that's when folks gather. They gather the cardinals because you want to have them gathered for when you're creating new cardinals. And they gather them, um, it seems, around the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul, which is June 29th. So Very convenient. Yes. So initially, in my head, you know, June 29th was the most popular date for creating (laughs) new cardinals, and I actually had that in my notes. But I have to go and correct myself because I have not found an actual consistory on that day. But usually, you know, a couple weeks before or a couple weeks after or even you know, the day before or the day after. So, for example, I think Pope Francis's one of his more recent consistories was originally scheduled for the 29th and it got rescheduled to the mm. 28th. So it's just, you know, they're in town, you know, maybe a quarter of modern consistories histories are within a week of that June 29th date. So that's why this is a bit topical here, because keep an eye out. They usually announce these things a few weeks in advance, so you get an idea of who's going to be a cardinal. And so, you know, the mm-hmm. next week or so, if we see an announcement about a, a consistory for new cardinals in June, and especially if that brings that up over that canonical maximum of 120 cardinal electors, then I would say that mm-hmm. kind of, you know, puts, uh, puts Bree's mind at ease. 
especially because we're very close to that number already. Even though we're running a little low, there are 117 cardinal electors right now. Mm -hmm. Yes, six of those are going to age out by the end of the year by hitting their 80th birthday. But that's that's pretty close. And generally, cardinals are not made in in huge numbers, but they're also not like it's not a two or three thing. Mm -hmm. So it's it's interesting to see what will happen with that, because I have seen a lot of commentary about consistories in general being to stack the deck so that Mm -hmm. if a pope is at the end of his life appointing cardinals that are similar in value to themselves to continue that legacy onwards. Now, Francis may not have that same concern because, as we said before, this is an entirely fresh new crop. Most of the cardinals there have been elected or have been appointed by him. At least the ones that are voting eligible. Exactly. So it's not as if he really has to worry so much about legacy theoretically i know that there are still plenty of of votable eligible cardinals that are not particularly francis styled but there yeah. are enough of them that have followed his message and his approach that it should be a really interesting conclave when it happens new cardinals or not <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it, it is interesting right i think the cardinals started with i i they ultimately came from sort of the seven deacons of Rome, um, and you mm-hmm. know they, that was kind of the group of them. Um, I don't know if where you're at in terms of papal history, if you've started to see more than seven cardinals, or if you really have much record of who was a cardinal at that point. I know, yeah. like we didn't get to like the modern conclave system yet, uh, so stay tuned. No, no, <laughs> we're we're quite we're quite a ways away from that. However, we are seeing the cardinals at this point representing the titular churches, so we're up to about 25. We're not seeing them being mm-hmm. represented by other places quite yet. However, I did just write an episode for sometime next year where we're going to see the first foreign appointed appointed cardinal he's still given a titular church in rome mm. but he is of a different place so that is very much on the horizon in the next year yeah and it's interesting some of the traditional things that still carry on like they still like establish they have to establish a new titular church whenever they get you know the number of cardinals <laughs> higher than it had been before right so you know, I think the max has been like 128 or something that they've had. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's just voting eligible, sorry. But like, you know, there's over 200, I would, I think, just alive cardinals that all of whom would have their own titular church. And I think the cardinal bishops might have two. Does that sound right? There's something straight. That does that. sound right. Yeah. I remember having to dig into that when I was first looking into Benedict, because at one point he definitely had two. Yes. And I think that has to do with basically... You know, originally there were the seven cardinals and then things gradually expanded. And now the number seven is more associated with the cardinal bishops, that particular level, because there's Mm -hmm. the cardinal deacons, cardinal priests. Uh, We could talk more about cardinals at another time. Um, But (laughs) it is, yeah, it's interesting because, you know, I mentioned that 120 rule and how, you know, Pope Francis has been kind of disregarding it. But he's not the first to do Mm -hmm. that. Like that rule basically, I think it came under effect under John Paul II. And he yes, like immediately with the um, apostolic constitution. Mm-hmm. And he immediately, basically, like the next conclave, turned around and disregarded it. So, <laughs> for the most part, you know, both John Paul II and Benedict the Sixteenth did, you know, 
allow it to go beyond that cap and then, you know, let them age back down. So I'm, I'm curious because if, you know, they keep running things like this and keep going over the theoretical max, do you know what would happen in that scenario? Like if Pope Francis, you know, well, right now we're under that 120. That's, that's part of what I actually find interesting is that for once, you know, we're actually within bounds, um, legally. Um, but you know, what does legality mean when you're an absolute monarch? But uh, over the constitutional limit, (laughs) as it were, do you know what would happen if we had a pope die or retire? I would assume die, because I would think you would not want to set that up for your retirement and have people look at you like, what are you doing? But if they were over that 120 number, do you know what would happen? Well, there's actually no uh, constitutional proviso for that circumstance. Mm. So what I think would happen instead is that given the timing of something like the Apostolic Constitution, which is currently the University University Dominici Gregis, um, which replaced the Romano Pontifici Elegendo in 1975. Thank you so much for pronouncing those because I was debating giving it a go and I was like, you know what, I'm I'm going to let Brie do that. (laughs) Yeah, my my brain can read it. Latin and Italian much better than my mouth can. But um, by the given the space between that, what I think we would see instead, because the Universici didn't come into effect until 1996, I think we would see a new apostolic constitution drafted before that point. Mm. However, my guess is that we're not going to see that happen, not just because of the aging out, but also because of the investigation. Like you said, there are many cardinals who have lost their right of electorate through shame. And un- unfortunately, I think that we're probably going to see a little bit more of that happen before the need for a new apostolic constitution. And so it. Yeah. And, and what's interesting about that is that actually is a relatively new development um, because like the first there had been one or two cases in the like the whole of the 20th century where a cardinal mm-hmm. was you know stripped of their cardinal privileges like they're still a cardinal but they can't vote for example mm-hmm. there have been like one or two cases in that in the whole 20th century and we're up to i think four or five so far in the 21st century and you know we're just kind of getting started so that has been there has been an uptick which i would say oh yeah yeah Probably, and, and I think thing. we certainly some of these cases you see it as like okay, yeah, that was egregious. Yeah, and I mean we have the situation where uh, McCarrick was mm-hmm. a cardinal while still active, and so there was an actual laicization in that that which removed eligibility. So it's it's very interesting to see how the cardinalate is changing as a whole, and so whether or not there is a legal proviso for it, which currently there isn't i believe that we would have an apostolic constitution update before we saw a conclave happening with more than 120 electoral uh, cardinals yes i i do think there probably will be a new apostolic constitution coming out to govern such things in the next and I th- while i think there needs to be for for more than just that reason not just for dealing with electoral cardinals, but mm. also because the Constitution deals with the deaths of the popes. And we currently don't have a legal standing or constitutional protocol for the death of an emeritus, which, again, if we're talking about 
Pope's becoming institutionally mm-hmm. retired mm-hmm. needs to be addressed before that becomes a thing. And that is one area where there's quite a lot of speculation right now mm-hmm. because there is no um, there is no actual legal canonical status of retired popes. And there's a lot of chatter right now, particularly inside the Vatican, mm-hmm. that Francis intends to officially legislate that. So I think we'll see that as part of a constitution. And then that will answer our electoral questions as well. You're almost making me think it might be something like, was it Celestine V that retired? And basically, it was after <laughs> yes. a couple of days, and like his actions as Pope were one, confirming that Popes could retire, and two, doing so. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent, and and that's very much what I think. When when that Constitution goes through, that's when I will be really worried that Francis is going to retire. <laughs> yes, yes, and until then, it sounds like we're getting ready for your own uh, conspiracy theory. Of course, picking up what I'm sure you're very keen on is the idea that. Uh, Without that canonical status for a Pope Emeritus, it actually means that uh, Benedict is still the true Pope. I know that's oh, been God, your long no. position. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's that's definitely my position. That is the position that, oh, it's so upsetting because you do see these people, right, who there are, it was only like last week there was I, a cardinal I, I try somewhere to avoid who came out. Them. I'm sure they're lovely people <laughs> in other regards. Oh, but it was just, it was not, it was not. There are still people who are like, Benedict's my Pope. It's, he's hes very clearly not. And uh, he's telling and you he's not. And he will tell not, you as so. much. He's been emphatic and consistent on that. That's probably the most and emphatic and consistent he's been about anything over the last, you know, well, 20 years. I don't know. That's for certain. Although I do think that Benedict is a very large piece of this puzzle. I don't know. Why because a lot... Sorry. <laughs> a lot of the um, the people that I have spoken to or have spoken through friends to speak to who work in the Vatican have, have said very clearly that Francis will not retire until Benedict passes on, given that the confusion that having two emeriti would mm-hmm. then cause, mm-hmm. especially because it's not a canonical role. So he has every intention of waiting Benedict out first. Mm-hmm. So while I do not believe that he is the actual pope, I think he's keeping, keeping our pope. actual pope around in his um, I sort that. of way. <laughs> I could see that. And I think that's fair, too, because I think that Francis has a lot of respect for Benedict. And, and he shows that quite publicly, as well as privately. Mm-hmm. So I think he wouldn't want to step on his toes in that role of retirement and and make it more confusing and more upsetting for everybody, but especially for Benedict himself. So it should be interesting. Yes, yes. Or roll over his toes if he's in a wheelchair these days. Sorry, I might cut <laughs> that joke dark. Anyways, accessibility is a thing. It should be normalized. How about that? Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Anything else you wanted to go on about? This has mostly been me. Well, on, I, so I appreciate you. I, we're going to be canonically very illegal here for a second because I have a question for you. Oh, yes. I want to know what you want to see in the next Pope and if you have a particular speculation as to who that might be. Well, you know, I'm a big fan of uh, who I have nicknamed. I, well, I think it was my nickname. I don't know. Cardinal Robin Hood. Yeah. Cardinal Krajewski. Yeah. 
That's how you say that, right? Something like that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So he's the papal almoner. Um, He's, you know, Mm -hmm. does things like crawling into a manhole to restore power to, uh, I believe, was a shelter when the city of Rome cut Mm -hmm. it off. And, you know, sort of played that uh, Vatican diplomatic trump card. Like, what are you going to do about it? He's fearless and he's progressive and he's doing amazing work on the ground with marginalized communities. And even in war, he's mm. been in the Ukraine Rice. quite a lot delivering yeah. um, ambulances and supplies. And and I think he, he, he would be my choice, too. So <laughs> I just don't know how likely that is. Yes. Yes. Well, he, he's he's an easy one. Um, mm-hmm. Yes. Now, I know you mentioned at one point you were thinking about and researching some of the uh, papabili, or if you want to give give uh, your thoughts on that. Any others you know? Well, who I do you think is most likely? We know who you like. I, yes, we know who we like, and, and that's who definitely who I like. I would, <laughs> I would love to see Krajewski become Pope, because I think that that's the direction the papacy needs, is somebody who is prepared to be fearless and progressive when it comes to the marginalized, when it comes to the poor, when it become when it comes to our environment, all of those things. And honestly, there like, are... I feel like the papal almoner role is a really easy spot to set yourself up for a good PR papacy, like unless you're really Absolutely. You know, making a mockery of it. Like people are going to appreciate that the guy, you know, who is actively helping people um, is the Pope. Absolutely. And I, and I would love to see it. Uh, there are some other papabile that I um, would be a little bit more concerned about being Pope. I know Cardinal Sarah has a very strong backing from from his particular faction within that, which I find challenging. He's very controversial, so I'm not sure how well that would work for him. I do think that the Bishop of Manila is very interesting. And I know that a lot of people, he was both listed as Papa Bile in 2013 and is still considered a front runner. He's quite young and he's quite similar to Francis. So a lot of people see him as an interesting figure to be the continuation of a Francis-like policy which would be interesting. And then of course mm. there is um there is a an Austrian uh, an Austrian cardinal Sean Born who generally gets He's the one with the piercing thrown. blue eyes, right? Yeah, and he is very much he is uh John Paul III from the New Pope show, the whole middle way guy. He's very popular in past conclaves. So I think if we see them looking for a compromise, he is a perfect compromise character um, for Pope, which could go either way. I, and then, of course... Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think there was like a Daily Show bit or something like that. I forget who it was, but it was talking about one of these cardinals with like the, the very blue eyes. And he described <laughs> him as a cross between like a priest and like a Siberian husky. And it just it made me lose it. I have not been able to find it since. I would love to figure out which who exactly he was referring to, but it may well have been Sean Bourne since he's been around a while. I'm pretty sure because he has he's he's very like he has a very John Paul II look about him, which I think plays into that very well because very middle ground. I know John Paul was a little bit more conservative. Yes, but, and uh, for the um, for the Archbishop of Manila, would that be a cardinal? Um, I'm going to try Tagle. 
I think it's I think it's Tale, but I'm not quite sure. Yeah, he goes by Yes, he goes by his nickname though, which is like Cheeto. I'm gonna look that up. I'm, I'm going I'm going to not try to pronounce that after you because I really want to say Cheeto. It's yeah, it's Cheeto. He he prefers to be called Cheeto, but yeah, he's he's very popular as a sort of successor of Francis. And then of course we have Cardinal Ulay from Canada, mm. which would be cool to have a Canadian cardinal as Pope, but and he's also been very I'm embarrassed to say that I just realized that yes, of course that's pronounced Ulay, not Ulet. <laughs> As I have been saying well, in my I head mean, for years. <laughs> Although he has been very vehement about not wanting to be Pope. He called the job a nightmare. He said, Those don't pick me. Ones. I will not accept. <laughs> he was um, third in every ballot. All of the five ballots in 2013. And uh, yeah, secret, so he secret is... leaked conclave ballots. Francis was very open about getting those votes leaked. So it was it's an interest that conclave in particular has been very publicly analyzed. I mean, you know, I, I certainly think that what the Vatican always needs is more secrecy. So, yeah, that's probably was OK. <laughs> yeah, that's going super well. <laughs> and and Ulay is an interesting choice because even though he absolutely does not want it, he's he's quite he's on the advanced side of age now. He is supportive of Francis, but he also has quite a lot of support amongst the conservative cardinals because he himself is quite conservative. So when mm-hmm. we're talking about compromise and, and middle ground, there's a reason he's been so popular. Although, please, please let it be Conrad Krajewski, because <laughs> that is the Pope we need for the future. <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely. All right. Well, I think we can we can call to something. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you again for your time. So, Popular History Podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Podcast, uh, History of Sacred Velo, Georgia. Um, all <laughs> very good shows. All with uh, popey content. I assume it was popey content. On a, with saintly content. <laughs> saintly content. Very, very good. I was going to say, I wasn't sure how many popes got out to uh, Georgia at that time. Mm-hmm. That would be an interesting question. I'll have to look well, into that. Maybe some like exiled by like a Byzantine emperor or something. Probably could find some patriarchs over there. Oh, that could be a Silvarius type thing for sure. Yeah. All right. Hmm. All righty. <laughs> See ya. Well, thank you. Thank you.